As we continue this heritage series, I want to take you north from Jerusalem to the area we traveled to last on our trip to Israel. This area is known as the region of Galilee, and it's the area where Jesus did most of his ministry. We were able to walk through several different cities and villages where Jesus would have walked and taught and healed, places like Bethsaida, Capernaum, Chorazim, and others. We also had the opportunity to go to the Sea of Galilee, and it was, it was really remarkable to be on a boat in the very waters where Jesus walked out to his disciples in the, in the midst of a, of, a, of a violent storm. It, it was really surreal to think about that Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, would have actually got out of the boat and walked on those very waters. It's the waters where Jesus would have looked up to the, to the skies and he, he would have said to the skies and to the storm, peace, be still. So being out on the waters and, and, and on that boat ride was really, really amazing. And actually, when we were on the boat ride, the, there was a song that was played. It was the Amen song, you know, Amen, that song. You know, it was really, really amazing to just be out there worshiping and celebrating uh, as we were on the very waters where Jesus and his disciples would have been. We had the opportunity as well to go to, as I said, several different cities. We went to Capernaum. Uh, a city where Peter lived. And archaeologists have discovered the, the, the likely place of Peter's actual home. It was the launching place of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. And we were able to see where Peter would have lived, where Jesus would have stayed and rested. We had the opportunity to go to uh, uh, other places as well, like uh, the place where Jesus fed the 5,000. To be able to be on the shore right off the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus would have performed this incredible miracle of feeding 5,000 plus people with very little food, a couple of pieces of fish and a few loaves of bread. It's an incredible experience. We also had the opportunity to go to the place where Jesus would have, would have, would have preached the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, to see how Jesus would have would have been positioned and to see where the crowds of people would have gathered around him to listen to these life-changing words, words that the, that the crowds would have said about Jesus. This man doesn't speak like the rest of our rabbis. He speaks as one who has authority. So we had the chance to visit all these incredible sites. But one site specifically that really was powerful was going to the city of Bethsaida. Bethsaida is one of the cities that's been excavated, and we actually had the opportunity to walk through part of the part of the city that remains, and we actually were able to walk the very streets that Jesus would have walked with his disciples. It's reminded of Mark chapter six, where Mark records that that from village to village, people would take their sick, lay them in the streets, and Jesus would go by and heal them one by one. And I was struck by the fact that we, were, we, were, we walked in the very places where people would have been laying uh, or lying down and, and ill and sick and wounded. And Jesus would have walked through those very streets, laid his hands on people, and made them well. One thing, though, that was remarkable about being in Bethsaida was a pavilion that was set up pretty high on a hill. This pavilion overlooked the region of Galilee. And... And under this pavilion, there were individual plaques 
that allowed us to be able to see the direction of different cities and key locations in the life and times of Jesus. And so we had a chance to see where the Sea of Galilee would be in relation to Bethsaida and places like Chorazim and others as well. And I was reminded of of one of the things that Jesus said. Jesus, on a certain occasion, begins begins to speak about what he did in some of these cities that we were able to go visit. And he actually pronounces, in a sense, a judgment. He says this, Woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Capernaum. If the miracles that were done in those cities were done in Tyre and Sidon, then Tyre and Sidon would have repented a long time ago. And then Jesus Jesus proclaims these really powerful and even heavy words that it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than it will be for these other cities that Jesus mentioned. And the weight of that struck me, that Jesus walked among us, healed people among us, taught with authority among us, and yet many, many people rejected who he was. And to be there on location to see those sights truly was overwhelming in so many ways. And it really brought to light a passage of scripture that we're going to be studying today in this, the end of this series called Heritage. It's going to be Matthew chapter 11. I want to give you the context of Matthew 11 because I think the, basically the entire chapter of Matthew 11 is a very fitting chapter to, to talk about on a, on a weekend like this, like Thanksgiving weekend. Now, I'm going to say this up front. This may be the most uh, awkward, uh, non-conventional, unconventional uh, Thanksgiving message you've ever heard in your life. And I'm totally okay with that because the text is really, really rich in meaning as we consider the goodness of God and our response to that. And so I want to walk through this text uh, with you this morning. And I think in Matthew chapter 11, there are, there are basically like two groups of people that really need to just kind of uh, to tune in to what Jesus has to say. And I'll explain those two groups this morning as we look at the story. But let's get the whole context. Where does the woe to you statements come out of? It comes out of a story about John the Baptist. Now, in chapter 11, verse 1, Jesus um, it has just sent his disciples to go out into the villages and towns. Remember Matthew chapter 10 last week is what we talked about. You guys remember that? Matthew chapter 10 is where Jesus said, you guys are a bunch of sheep and you're in, in the midst of a bunch of wolves and this is how you should act. Well, this is the chapter after that. Jesus has sent his disciples out, but Jesus is still doing ministry. He's still preaching and teaching. And so this is a story that happens in the life of John the Baptist that leads Jesus to make an interesting observation after a question John asks him. Verse number one. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, again, Matthew 10, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee, the places that we walked while we were in Israel. Verse number two. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples, verse three, to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else. Now understand the question John asked here. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Christ. He is the one that prepared the way to bring about the ushering in of the Messiah, Jesus himself. 
And John the Baptist was the one who baptized Jesus. He sees the dove descending and he knows this is the Messiah, the the promised Messiah. John um, has a huge following, but he points them all to Jesus. John says about himself, I must decrease so that he can increase. Well, John has an interesting uh, uh, next couple of years in his life. John uh, elevates Christ to his rightful position as Messiah. But John also has a role to play. John uh, the Baptist is an individual who finds himself in an awkward situation. He begins to lecture Herod, who is, who is in charge here, about an unethical situation that he was involved in. Um, he, is, he is placed in prison, John the Baptist is, because of his willing, willingness to stand up for what was morally right and to speak out against what was morally wrong. And so John the Baptist finds finds himself in prison. He is at the pinnacle of his life and ministry in announcing the Messiah, and now he finds himself at a very difficult place, a place uh, unfamiliar, a place of uncertainty, a place where, where he, 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 he doesn't understand for sure what's about to happen. He's uncertain about his future. Truth be known, he's in prison, he's in misery, he's suffering, and he's frustrated, and he might possibly be pouting a bit. Anyone? And so he wants to know the answer to a very important question. Jesus, I promoted you as the Messiah. Was I wrong, or are you really the Messiah? Isn't it interesting in the moments of suffering and difficulty how our faith is challenged? At one point, we have no problem proclaiming Jesus as Messiah, but then at other points in our life, we're wondering, did I put my faith and confidence and hope in the wrong person? John is there. And so what is Jesus' response to John in this question? What what does he tell the disciples? He says this in verse number four. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. Now, Luke does us a favor because in Luke chapter seven, it's a parallel account of this story. Luke says that at the time John asked this question, Jesus is very active performing miracles and preaching and teaching. Jesus said, go back and tell these things to John. The blind receive sight. The lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Now you might be looking at these words and wondering why Jesus would choose these specific words in these specific sentences. And you might be tempted to believe he was just trying to encourage John. John, look, man, everything's okay. You know, God's in control and and things are moving forward. and, And look, I'm doing these great things. But you might miss the fact that Jesus wasn't just providing hopeful words. Jesus was telling John the prophecies about the Messiah, that that the Messiah would do these very things are being fulfilled before your very eyes. It's not as though Jesus was just giving hopeful words. Jesus was saying the prophecies about the Messiah that would heal and teach and preach to the poor are true and they are being fulfilled before your very eyes. You can have confidence to know I am he. And then John said, or Jesus says this in verse number six, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. It's a powerful, a powerful word of hope and encouragement to John the Baptist who's in the midst of difficulty. And here's, here's the truth. As we go about our own Christian journey, there's a, and this is a group of people in the room today, I'm certain of this. On Thanksgiving this year, this was one of the most difficult, maybe the most difficult Thanksgiving you've ever gone through. There was a period in your time where, you know, ministry made sense or life made sense and the world was right. But for whatever reason, in this season and in this time, you have a kind of a John the Baptist experience. It's difficult. 
It is challenging. And for you to be thankful and grateful this year was really tough because of all that you're going through. And, and maybe you've beginning to ask the question like John asked, like, you know, is this, should I continue to hope in this? You know, where is God kind of question. And Jesus would say to you today that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the Messiah, the one who fulfilled the prophecies. And, and, and in this moment is not the time to lose hope, but the time to believe deeply in the, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is Messiah. And someone in the room today would just need to be encouraged by that. And, and you know what's interesting? What Jesus does for, for, for John, he, he gives this word, look, this is what's going on. This is, this is the reality. And sometimes in the midst of bad circumstances, of suffering and difficulty, sometimes we can get so focused in on the immediate crisis that we face that we lose the larger context of what's going on, especially what's gone on in our life previously. Remember, John saw the dove descending from heaven. It's not as though John was in the dark. John had evidence of the, uh, uh, of, the, of the activity of God in his life previously. He had just forgotten it. It's a powerful point to remember. Don't, don't, don't miss this. One of the things that I, think, that I think happens in the midst of the suffering is that we lose sight of the, the, the larger context in which God has worked. And one of the remedies for losing sight is to go back and remember it's a powerful point. And I would encourage you, if you're writing things down, just to, just to write this down. Look, uh, 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 if you're in the midst of suffering and, and difficulty and you're having difficult time worshiping and being grateful, go back. Go back. You know, in the Old Testament, um, the, uh, God to the Israelites instructs them, uh, time and time again, after victory or triumph or after a miracle was performed or after God was faithful to provide something, he always instructed them, set up a place of remembrance. Build something here so that along the way, when you come along this route again, you see this and you remember the faithfulness of God. He also instituted certain holy days or holidays for the nation of Israel to celebrate in remembrance of all that God had done. That's the Passover for you. It was the, it was the, it was the event by which God did not kill the firstborn of the Israelites, but he passed over the Israelites and, and the firstborn in Egypt were those who faced death. And so this is a place of remembrance as well. You know, they're really important along the way. Going back is really important. <laughs> and, and, and of all people on, and all companies on planet Earth to, to get this, <laughs> isn't it just like Facebook to understand the importance of remembering? <laughs> of all the things that aren't right about faith, Facebook, there is one thing that I really love about Facebook. It's, I think it's called Time Hop or something like that, where on your feed, in the midst of reading everyone else's crisis and chaos, right? Because that's a lot of Facebook, right? All the stuff we go through. In the midst of reading all that stuff on Facebook, along the way, on your, on your feeds, it stops. And it says, this day, two years ago, five years ago, this is what's going on. That happened to me just Saturday. It was, a, it was on, my, on my feed, and I, I saw a picture. It was six years ago of Grady. Grady's seven. It was six years ago, so he was one. And it's a picture of Grady sitting on the floor in our kitchen, and he's surrounded by Fritos that he had dumped out of a bag and smashed into the floor. And I remember so vividly, uh, I remember that event happening because I went in, and like I've done, like, 10,000 times in the last seven years with Grady, I went and I said, Grady Blair, oh my gosh, look at the mess you've made, right? It was all over the floor. 
I remember being frustrated with this one-year-old, like a one-year-old is going to act any different than that, right? But I thought one-year-olds, you know, pastor's kid's supposed to get it by then, right? And so he's in the midst of this mess, and I'm frustrated with him. But for whatever reason, I thought, all right, I've got to take a picture of this. And I posted on Facebook something as well. It took me back to that place. I remembered who he was, what he looked like. And look, to be honest with you, I was a frustrated, you know, parent of one child, never done it before. But I look back on it now with a totally different perspective. I'm so thankful for those moments where God provided for me. The snapshot gave me a picture to look back. And I just would say to you today that that along the way, that it's really healthy for us to look back. If you never set up places of remembrance, you know, in your journey, in your life, it's really good to be able to go back to those moments and times to just look and see how God was active and involved. Just this last week, and I'm confessing my sins here to you, but just this last week, um, I, was, uh, I was at our staff meeting, and for the first 30 minutes or so, I lead our staff, and we do a devotion or some leadership talk or some, you know, just some scriptural emphasis, and so I was... Just before I went into the meeting, I was really, you know, wrestling with what, I, what God was leading me to say. And I remember having a sense, it's Thanksgiving week, and I'm having, having a sense that God was saying, why don't you ask everyone to share what they're thankful for? And being the exceptional pastor and godly man that I am, I said, that's a dumb idea. Right? I mean, who doesn't do that on Thanksgiving, right? Let's all share what was great about, you know. I just thought, there's no way I'm doing that. I mean, they expect more out of their leader. And so I rejected it for a minute. I felt like I'm not doing that. I was trying to think of something else to come up with. But it just came back to my mind. Why don't you just ask them what they're thankful for? And so the entire time I'm setting the question up, I'm apologizing to our staff. Like, this is going to be cheesy, and I'm sorry, but this is what I feel like God's asking us to do. So just go with me, all right? And I'll go first. So it's not too awkward. And so I I said this, and it was really weird. uh, But I said in that moment, I said, I'm thankful that I didn't die, right? And so, and you just felt the same thing everyone in the room felt like. Should I laugh at that? (laughs) Or should I start crying with him? Or what what should I do in that conversation? It was just that that blonde, that just, just fell out, right? And I started dealing with the weight of that even in that moment. And I thought, oh, that's exactly right. You know, in, in, in January, I was in ICU for five days and I was on a ventilator and I could have easily not been here. And it's pretty weighty, pretty heavy. And my wife and I have reflected on that many, many times this last year about what could be different in our life, in her life, in my kid's life, if, if that would have gone differently. And, and so that's how it started. And everyone in the room was like, yeah, how am I going to follow that? <laughs> What do I have to say, right? But it was really powerful because around the room, one by one, each person shared about how God had been faithful. And we cried together and we celebrated the goodness of God as we look back. One person on our staff had been dealing with the loss of a loved one and they they had been wrestling with it. And so Thanksgiving for them had been depressing over and over and over again. And she shared, I'm so thankful that for this year that God just took away that heaviness and that burden. And gave me a light heart. And I was able to celebrate this year. It's the faithfulness of God. It's looking back. Seeing how God has been faithful. That draws us to a place of dependence and faith once again. And so John the Baptist heard these words from Jesus. The story doesn't end there, church. It really, really takes an interesting turn. And you're not going to expect the turn that it's about to take. And so I just want to prepare you. That as powerful as Jesus' words are to John. they They are equally powerful and yet more difficult to hear for a totally different group that Jesus is about to speak to. 
in, John, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus leverages this conversation just like a wise sovereign God would do. He leverages this question that John asked, are you the one? And he begins to speak to a different audience that's listening to him on that day. And in, 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 chap, in, in, in chapter, uh, verse number 6, all the way through verse 15, Jesus spends a little bit of time talking theology with the people. And he says to them, look, this John the Baptist, he was an incredible person. As a matter of fact, Jesus says this about John the Baptist. And when God says this about a person, this is powerful. He says, among men born to women, there has never been a greater man on, 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 on earth. It's a powerful statement to be made. But then Jesus says something really interesting after that. Jesus says, yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. It seems as if Jesus is speaking out of both sides of his mouth, but he certainly isn't. You know what Jesus says about John? John the Baptist was the the last of the Old Covenant. He was the last of the prophets. Prophecy in terms of Old Covenant ended with John because he is the one to prepare the way for the New Covenant. And so by Jesus saying he's the greatest born among, among women, he's not knocking John by after that saying the least is greater than him in the New Covenant. What he's saying is, is that what John offered was a prelude to the greatest gift God has ever given humanity, which is the gift of salvation. So those in the new covenant are greater, not because they're greater in essence or stature, but because the covenant is greater that they're under. It's great theology. And then Jesus says this. In verse number 16, he looks at the crowd and he says, to what can I compare this generation They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. Verse number 17. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. To understand Jesus' imagery here, you have to understand first century uh, culture. Jesus is leveraging the cultural relevance of what he's about to say. In the first century, children played in the streets, and two of the two of the pretend games that they played were uh, pretending to be uh, to be involved in a wedding and to pretend to be at a funeral. Now I know that's weird. Kids today typically don't like exercise and perform out a funeral, right? But in the first century, this is one of the things they did. So weddings and funerals, that's how the kids just kind of played on the streets. And so Jesus is, is leveraging what people would know in the first century. That there was an invitation to come to the incredible event. Come to the table, come partner with us come participate in the events but they wouldn't do it as a matter of fact he doesn't even have he doesn't even have a good phrase to start how can i compare this generation that didn't come to the dance with us who are they like it's a powerful powerful statement and he goes on to say in verse number 18 for john came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon in verse 19 The son of man, Jesus himself, came eating and drinking. And they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. This is great. This is powerful. Jesus is brilliant. Jesus says, we invited you to the event, both John and myself. We invited you to the event, but you said no. When John invited you, you said, no, you you don't eat or drink. But when I ate or drink, you said, what are you doing eating or drinking? In both cases, there was an invitation to come to the new covenant, and they rejected it. And then Jesus makes some powerful, powerful statements about their fate. Verse number 20, he says this. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Verse 21, this is the statements. Woe to you, Chorazin! 
Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Verse 22. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And then another pronouncement, verse 23. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom. Wow, what a slap in the face for Jesus to use Sodom. It would have remained to this day. And then verse 24. But I tell you that it would be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Why does Jesus pronounce such definitive, clear judgments? If you're writing things down, you can write this down as well. Because to whom much is given, much will be required. Tyre and Sidon are not mentioned in Scripture elsewhere except in one other location. There's no evidence that Jesus ever went to visit Tyre and Sidon. There's no ministry that was done there. Jesus' ministry focused primarily in the areas that he describes, Chorazim, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. He lived in Capernaum at Peter's house. Everyone in Capernaum knew Jesus, saw Jesus, watched the miracles that were performed, had a chance to hear his teaching and preaching, and yet they rejected him. By the way, if you've ever served in ministry, evidence of success has nothing to do with the number of people you reach, Or if you reach anyone at all. Ministry success is governed by obedience to what God calls you to. So let's not get caught up in numbers. Jesus, he lived in Capernaum and his success rate was minimal. Beside and Chorazim all rejected the Jesus who was very real among them. And so he says to them, woe to you. If I would have went to Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented with the same evidence that you now reject. Sodom, the same thing. They would have remained a day if Jesus could have ministered in Sodom the way he did in these other places. A powerful statement. What's the point? The point I think Jesus is making here, and on this Thanksgiving weekend, it's a great point. The point Jesus is making is, is when there is evidence of the activity of God, it should draw us to a certain conclusion. When we see God and his activity at work, it should lead us to a certain place. Do you know what that place is? And on Thanksgiving, you would say, oh, I know, I know, pick me, I know, it's Thanksgiving, right? We ought to be thankful and we ought to worship, right? That's the answer. Well, did you know that's not the answer? And you'd be like, you are awkward, I'm pretty sure that should be the answer because I grew up in church and that's what the Sunday school teacher told me that, that I should give thanks to the Lord for he is good and, and that's what I'm supposed to do. Well, no, 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 I'm not saying you shouldn't do that stuff. That's fine, but that's not what Jesus says the response of a person should be when there's evidence of God in their life. Do you know what their response should be? Repentance. Here's the truth. There's some fellas in here, some guys in here, and God has richly blessed your life, and you have never responded to his goodness. There's some guys in here, you are married, you way outpunted your coverage, my friend. You are married to someone. It shouldn't have happened, but you somehow, you got that woman. And God has blessed you with children and finances and a home and cars and resources. God has blessed you with health. And, and, and he, has, he has richly provided for you. But your heart is still calloused and hardened. 
There's some ladies in the room. Oh, man, I better be careful here. It's possible there's some ladies in the room, and you may have married up. I know that's true in my family. I'm teasing. My wife would kill me if she heard that. She's not in the room this morning. No, for real, though, some of you, you married into an incredible situation. Maybe you have to go to work, but it's possible you may be in a scenario where your husband goes to work and you get to stay at home, and that is an incredible blessing, and God has provided for you richly, and you're here today, and in light of all that God has done for you, your heart is still calloused and hardened towards God. God has given you much, and much is required in terms of your response. And here's my prayer today on Thanksgiving. Certainly we should worship. Certainly we should be grateful. All those things are absolutely true. But you know what would be really amazing today? That if you, you in this moment began to look back over how God has blessed you and it led you to a place in your heart of surrendering to him. Not of just saying thank you, but of giving your heart, giving your heart over to him, surrendering your heart and receiving the salvation that comes from Jesus. If you're here today and you're a Christ follower, and, and maybe, maybe along the way you've forgotten some things. Maybe today, if you're here and you're a Christ follower, and maybe your heart has become calloused or hard, maybe today the message for you is, listen, it's not salvation for you. You're saved. But maybe it's a rededication. Maybe it's a turning again back to the Father who is good. Don't let your heart be hardened by circumstances. For God is faithful and good. So here's what I want you to do today. I want you to just to consider the last couple of verses in conclusion. You know, you look at these verses and it seems hard, right? Jesus has come down hard on the cities in which, he li- in which he lived and ministered. And if you leave the story there, Jesus comes across as an angry God ready to punish. But I love the fact that Jesus never leaves us at a place of anger and a place of wrath. He always brings us back to a place of hope. Notice what happens in the end of chapter 11. I just want to read these verses and pray with you. Because at the conclusion of this story, Jesus, after pronouncing this judgment, then says this, Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Verse 29, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And then verse 30, For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. For all the struggles and all the battles and all the failures and all the uncertainties, Jesus wants to take all that because his burden is light. He wants to give you that light, that light rest for your soul. He wants to exchange the heaviness and give you rest. And so this morning, wherever you are in the journey, my prayer is that you would hear the words of Jesus of Matthew 11 and respond to God as he leads you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Hey, this is Pastor Matt Blair. Thank you so much for taking time to check out our podcast today at solacechurch.com. You know, we realize that it's possible, as you listen to this message today, that God may have spoken to your heart about something. So if you made any kind of spiritual decision, we would love to know about that. You can email us at info at solacechurch.com and let us know what happened in your life today. Once again, thank you so much for taking time to check out this podcast.